First Corinthians 7:39 and 40 ends right there with talking about how if a if someone's been widowed, it would be better to remain single. First Corinthians 7, 7, as Kathy read, Paul says that singleness is a gift, right? Paul says it's better. Paul says singleness is a gift. So today we're going to learn why singleness is a gift. And Paul details this out in, in this section of Corinthians. And this is a very relevant topic. This is a very relevant topic. Dr. Joel Beakey, he's the president of, of, of the Puritan Reform Seminary. He talks about in Western culture, adults are 30, 30% of adults in Western culture remain singles. 30%. Can you imagine that? 10% have been divorced and remain single. Another 10% are, have been widowed and they decide to remain single. So 50% in Western culture of adults, are single. Man, that may surprise you, but that's a large number, right? So this is a very relevant topic. And sitting here today, we have young singles, we have older singles, we have those who've been gifted with singleness, meaning they don't have any desire to be married, right? But there's also those who do desire to be married, who are single, this is a very important topic, and Paul does a great job of addressing this and detailing out scripturally through the truth what, what singleness is all about. Today, I hope this affirms our single brothers and sisters, and also for those of us who are married, we have a right view on singleness today. So verse 36 and 38, this kind of sets the context, perhaps, on what Paul is directly addressing. This is complicated because this letter that the Corinthians wrote to Paul, we don't have that. And so what we have to do is kind of piece through through the internal evidence or what the Corinthians is talking about, what Paul is exactly addressing. Verse 36 and 38 talks about in the NASB how fathers, some fathers have vowed to keep their daughters from being married, right? And so this is a very interesting section of scripture. There's debate both sides of it because there's really two major interpretations of verse 36 and, uh, through 38. One view as the NSB has translated, also the King James Version has translated, is they see this as fathers holding back their daughters from being married because of their current situation, Okay, another view of this is which is used in the ESV and NIV translations. They see this as a man who's betrothed to a woman. All right, betrothal is a higher view uh, level of engagement. This is where a man and a woman are promised to be married, they just haven't consummated the marriage, basically being married already. All right, so that's where the ESV takes his view and the NIV takes his view of a man who's betrothed. And so some, some men were perhaps having some second thoughts of being uh, going through with a marriage. It's like, all right, the, the current times are difficult. Perhaps it would be better for me to remain single. So Paul perhaps is either addressing the fathers from allowing their daughters to be married or from men to go through with the marriage. And so we're right here. This is a, um, the way I view this. I decide, the way I, I hold this loosely, though. I don't hold this dogmatically. I, I, just because of church history, Throughout the history of the church, most have held the view that this is talking about fathers holding their daughters back from being married. Okay, so in that time, in that context, a lot of uh, marriages were uh, 
prearranged or arranged by their parents. This is kind of the context that we're talking about. But the good news is this. It does not dilute the principles that Paul talks about in the area of singleness. Just so we can follow along here, brothers and sisters, we're going to unpack why singleness is a gift in three major points. Singleness is a gift because singles could be single-minded in distress, troubles. Singleness is a gift because singles can be single-minded in delight, in delight for Christ. And third point is singleness is a gift because singles can be single-minded in devotion, devotion to Christ. So we'll, we'll talk more about this. I'm just giving you this ahead of time so you can follow along. So let's get to the first point here. Paul says that singleness is a gift, all right? And singleness is a gift because singles can be single-minded in distress, in distress. So what's going on here? In verse 25, Paul says, now, right? This is when that goes, now to address the second issue that you brought up, Corinthians, the issue of singleness, this is where we talk about in verse 25. It says, now concerning virgins or the betrothed, right, depending on how we interpret this. This is talking about unmarried people. These are singles. All right. And Paul says, I give you my opinion. Now, this isn't just some kind of like, oh, I'm just going to give you some advice. This is some Holy Spirit pastoral counsel that Paul is giving to the Corinthian church. Although he's, he's not giving a command, he's giving his best advice to help out the singles of the church in Corinth. Because he cares. This is a pastor. This is Pastor Paul who's caring for the Corinthian church. Now the verse 26 sets the whole context and why Paul believes that it would be good for men and women to remain single. Verse 26 says this, I think then, that this is good in view of the present distress. It's good for a man to remain single considering the present distress. What's going on in Corinth 2,000 years ago? What's going on? What is this present distress that's going on? Well, four years prior to this, in Acts 18, Paul showed up at Corinth and he started preaching the gospel and many people came to Christ, many Jews and many Gentiles. And one of the things that happened immediately was this. Sosthenes, the, the, the leader of the, uh, of the uh, synagogue, was beaten and persecuted. Persecution erupted as soon as Paul started preaching the gospel in Corinth. And in 2 Corinthians 11, 23 to 27, you can read all about the, the persecution that Paul went through. Paul had a hard life. Paul said, I'm an apostle and my scars prove it because Paul was beaten, battered, mistreated, stoned, shipwrecked. He was treated in a horrible way. And so Paul understood persecution. Paul understood what this was coming. Ten years later now, perhaps the Lord gave him some insight or Paul could just see the cultural writing on the wall, so to speak. Ten years later, after writing 1 Corinthians, you know what would happen? A very significant event would happen in Rome. This is a landmark event that happened. Rome would be burned down. Emperor Nero, who was a maniac... Okay, it was a horrible leader. Wanted to build up Rome to even greater heights and greater glory. So he had Rome set on fire. 
10 years later, and what would ensue was the fury of Rome would come against Christians. Persecution. Persecution. In essence, Nero sent out this propaganda that the Christians were the ones responsible for setting the city on fire. So the Romans hated the Christians because the, the Christians became the scapegoats of the time. And Nero was a diabolical man, an evil man, legitimately evil man, took persecution to a whole different level. Some Christians were wrapped up into animal skin and allowed to be devoured by animals and dogs. For show, some Christians were just saturated and soaked in wax and, and tied into um, to poles and lit, lit as human candles to light the, the emperor's garden at night. I mean, that's horrible. That's persecution. Christians were being trampled under. And perhaps Paul had insight that this is the coming persecution because for a married person, this would be horrible to go through. With that type of persecution coming, Paul lovingly says to the Corinthian church, it's actually better that you remain single. I mean, think about the implications of those who you love, your spouse, your wife, your husband, your children, your grandchildren, people that you love the most to go through something like that. This would be horrifying so Paul is giving his best counsels. Hey, actually, if you could be single, remain single. Because trouble is coming, uh, Christians. And I ask this question. This is what happened in Rome 2,000 years ago. Is persecution coming in America? Is persecution coming in America? When Rome went under this transformation... What was happening in the, at, in, during the Roman Empire is this, social and economic unrest. Does that, does that sound familiar for us today? Moral and cultural decline. Does that sound familiar to us today? Are there some parallels there today? Under the new administration, as Pastor Michael prayed, we continue to pray for our leaders. This is what our Lord calls us to do. We want to pray for their salvation. Right? But under the new administration, just within the first two weeks, I mean, things are ramping up. You see the direction where this government wants to take our country to, in particularly affirming the LGBTQ movement, ramping up certain acts, certain federal protection acts are being signed by the president. They're eliminating the transgender military ban. Allowing the uh, LGBTQ flag to be, uh, to be flown in all the embassies. So many things are being signed, it's hard to even keep up. I mean, things are happening at a rapid rate. And during that time, Rome used Christians as scapegoats, right? Think about that. Emperor Nero blamed the Christians, and the Christians were attacked. In the United States of America, could it be that if we don't go along with this, we don't affirm this, that Christians could be used as scapegoats too and be demonized and attacked? I think this is coming. In some parts, it's already here. And so I think this is important because Christians will be labeled as hate groups. 
Christians would, if we don't go along with what the government and the culture is affirming, we'll be known as people who hate persecution, persecution. And so this is where, as Christians, we need to know how to handle this situation. This is absolutely critical that we know how to handle these things, what we believe. So how do we handle this? How do we handle the present distress and the coming distress that's coming? First and foremost, we have to know what we believe. Write that down. We have to know what we believe. Pastor Mako talked about it out of uh, Joshua 1.9, how to be strong and courageous, right? How Jordan is strong and courageous, but we're all called to be strong and courageous. Not because we're like, have this attitude of like, okay, I'm going to be strong and courageous, but because we know that our Lord is with us. 1 Corinthians 16, 13, 14, Paul says the same thing. He says, be alert. Know the times. Recognize the present distress. Stand firm in the faith, Paul says. Know what you believe in. Me actively involved in knowing what we believe in, who we believe in, that our Lord and Savior is with us, and we know who he is. We know his promises. We know that Christ is better than this life itself. And the next section is more of a byproduct of what happens when we know we're standing firm in the faith, when we know our Lord so well. Paul goes on to write, says, Act like men or be courageous. Act like men. Be strong. Let all you be done in love. So this is the whole idea. It isn't like, okay, I got to be more courageous. I got to get stronger. No, 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 no. Christ in us makes us courageous. Christ in us makes us stronger. Christ in us reaches out in love, speaks the truth in love. Ready to offer hope. Ready to offer hope in the gospel for all sinners. Right? So this is how we're called to be strong and crazy. Uh, let's just take a, another note from another single from the Bible. Paul was a single. But in the book of uh, Daniel, the prophet Daniel, I believe when this was written, he was single. Daniel 1.8 says this. He purposed in his heart that he will not defile himself with the king's food. Before persecution gets really hot, kind of like what Pastor Marco talk about, talked about, let's practice being strong and courageous right now. Let's determine in our hearts, let's set our hearts to honor God no matter what, it, what the cost. See, this is what we're talking about, living in an uncompromised life, amen? This is what we're talking about. God is looking for a few choice men and women to serve them during this time. And how you do it is not because your talents or your gifts or how tough you are. It's because you know the Lord so well. As a fruit or as a byproduct, we are strong and courageous. Everything that we do is done in love. Daniel was an uncompromising man. He lived in that era of persecution. So many examples to learn from. But it starts off with having conviction of who Christ Jesus is. It starts with Christ. It starts and ends with Christ forever and ever. 
Now, Paul goes on to say, in terms of if you get married in verse 27, 28, that's fine. If you stay single, that's fine. It's a neutral thing. This is, Paul's being very clear. He, this is not a command that he's saying. He's just giving his best pastoral counsel to serve the Corinthians of the time. And in, in verse 28, let me just finish off right here just to make it clear again. Yet, at the end, yet such will have trouble in this life. And I am trying to spare you. If you get married, you're going to have more troubles. It's going to be harder. If you're called to marriage, praise God. But Paul is trying to highlight, if you're called to singleness, praise God as well. Right? I mean, think about it. I'm married. I love my wife. I love my children. Many of us are married with children. Think about the horror of seeing your wives or your children harmed. Think about that. Not that singles don't care, but this is a different type of responsibility that we're called to. Paul is simply trying to make it easier for some of the Corinthians, okay? That's point number one. Let's go to point number two. Singleness is a gift because singles can be single-minded in delight. In their delight. All right, what do I mean by this? Let's look at verse 29. But this I say, brethren, the time has been shortened <laughs> so Paul is trying to remind the Corinthian church that the, it, the imminent return of Christ is real. Christ could come, out, come back at any point after his death and resurrection and ascension. Right? Meaning, before he came the first time, the end of the world was still not known. Meaning, you had to wait for the first coming of Christ before the second coming of Christ. In effect, when Christ died, when he resurrected, when he ascended back to heaven, that was like the pin. The pin was pulled. The clock is ticking now. Tick, 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 tick. Paul saying, it's time now. The end of days are here now. Christ could return at any time. And as, as, let me just read 1 Thessalonians here. 1 Thessalonians 5. And how will he come back is very important for us to understand this. 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 4 says, Now, as to the times, the epochs, brethren, you have no need of, of anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. You're not going to know when he comes, but he's going to come suddenly while they are saying peace and safety. It's all good. Don't worry about it. Let's just keep living the way we want to live. Then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child. It's time. And they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief. We know this day is coming. And because we have put our hope in Christ, we will be ready. Right? Right? And you may be saying, well, pastor, what do you mean the day is coming? It's been, wasn't that written 2,000 years ago? True. It is 2,000 years ago. In, the hum, in human economy, that's a long time ago. But in God's econ economy, in 2 Peter 3.8, it says a thousand years, like, but a day for the Lord. It's just been two days for God. Right? That's not that long. It hasn't been that long for our Lord. And so in essence, Jesus is our delight. He is the one that we love. As we sang, he is the greatest treasure, right? He is our greatest treasure. And as we talk about this, this is important. This is one thing that single people do not have to deal with. And I'm going to talk about idolatry right now. What is an idol? 
Idols are the enemy to delighting in Christ fully. Idols are making someone or something to be the source of our delight. All right? In essence, what do we treasure the most that gives us so much joy? Obviously, it's supposed to be Christ. He is the greatest treasure. However, sometimes some of the good things of our life could become an idol. So Paul's basically going to say, hey, being married or being single is not the ultimate thing. And I just want to address one issue of our church. I love our church. I love our church. And I think just one of the idols of our church could be, for some of us, if not many of us, family. Family could be the number one idol of our church. Do we make our wives, our children, our husbands the most important thing in our lives? Do we put, does Christ have a rival within our hearts? Think about that. Think about that. This is one of the things where Paul is calling us to be 100% pure and delight in Christ alone. Doesn't mean we don't treasure our marriages and our families. That's not what I'm saying. But keeping everything in proper perspective. Remember, idols cause us to compromise. Idols cause us to compromise. God is looking for a few choice men and women to serve him. Uncompromising men and women to serve him. And so right here, Paul goes to a laundry list of things that could serve as potential idols. Let me read it here at verse 29 here. And he has marriage as one of them. Verse, verse 29, but I say this, I, but I say, brethren, the time has been shortened so that from now on, those who have wives should be as though they had none. And those who weep as those they, they did not weep. And those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. And those who buy as though they did not possess. And those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it. What is Paul talking about here? Paul is basically saying this. We live in the world. Let's keep living in it. If you're married, that's great. But don't make marriage the ultimate thing in your life. If, in, in essence, let me just read to you how, how temporary marriage is. It's only for this world. 1 Corinthians 7, 39 says, till death do us apart. As soon as your spouse passes, you're free. Marriage commitment is over. But let's think about this now on more of an eternal cosmic sense. I'm going to turn to Luke 20. Jesus teaches on marriage as he responds to kind of another trap that the Pharisees uh, laid out for him. But let me just read uh, Luke 20, 34 and 35. Talking about marriage, okay? Luke 20, 34 and 35. Jesus said to them, the sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. That's what we do, right? That's just normal. It's a good thing. Verse 35, but, Paul, Jesus goes on to say, but those who are considered worthy to attain to that age, meaning heaven, and the resurrection from the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage. Meaning in heaven, there is no more marriage. I believe, no doubt, that we'll know our spouses, but we're no longer in that marriage commitment now. We're actually married to the Lord and to one another. 
This is what we're going to be a part of. So even marriage is not an eternal thing. It's a lifelong thing, which is a very important thing, but this is not forever. So Paul is saying, whether, whatever makes you sad today, don't let that define you. Whatever gives you joy from this world, enjoy it, but don't let that define you. Even if you buy things, you know, you order stuff on Amazon, and you know, that's going to happen, right? We're going to order stuff, but don't let that be the greatest source of joy in your life, getting things. Even the world. It's, we live in a great world, but God is saying, I put you in the world, but not to be of the world. Don't buy the lie, all right? You're here for, this is a temporary mission, all right? So God, Paul isn't saying we stop being married and stop buying things and stop being sad and stop being happy. Paul is simply just saying, know that the end is near and these things are not gonna matter. American author Oliver Wendell Holmes, all right, said this quote one time and he says, some people are so heavenly minded that they are no earthly good. Well, Paul says something different in Colossians 3.2. He says, set your mind on things above, not things of the earth. Paul actually says something else. It's get your mind on eternal things. I mean, Wendell Holmes should have said something like, some people are so earthly minded that they are no heavenly good. That's what Paul's basically saying here. Don't be so consumed with the things of this world that it, that it captures you. Think of heaven. Think of, think of things that are going to matter in eternity. Now, verse 31, I think this is a very interesting thing. I think it's worth talking about. Verse 31 says this, And they did not make full use of it, for the form of this world is passing away. I found this word very interesting. This word form here is a, has a very interesting meaning. It, it could mean structure, appearance, or mask. Mask. Let me put mask in, in, in verse 29. It's, it's, or excuse me, verse 31. For the mask of this world is passing away. In other words, the, the world's mask is being uncovered. What does that mean? Pastor, what are you talking about? It means the facade of the things that the world promises are going to be shown to be worthless. The promises and hopes and dreams and ideals and values that this world promotes is going to give you so much happiness is getting unmasked. Like, oh, I guess this isn't, this isn't all that it was cracked up to be. This is what Paul's saying. So therefore, know that this time is not forever. So with singles... There is a blessing in singleness in the sense that singles don't have this distraction. Singles aren't tempted to make marriage something bigger than it's supposed to be. For us who are married, my, myself included, we need to be so, sober-minded about marriage. Amen? This is, this is for this life. Singleness is a gift. Let's go to the third and final point here. Singleness is a gift because singles can be single-minded in devotion. Devotion, fill that in, devotion. Back in 1999, I think I was 23 years old. 23 years old, if I do the math correctly. 1999, before the 2000s, can you believe that? 1999, I was headed towards a PT school, physical therapy school at USC. You know, that was pre-physical therapy. They even accepted me to, to the doctorate program. I'm all set. I'm going to go to right there on Alcazar and Alfa Soto and go to school there. And 
I even put in my deposit. And next thing you know, I'm changing my mind and say, you know what, I, want, I think I'm, I want to be a football coach instead. I mean, that was, that was a change. Of course, my mom and dad said, what are you thinking? Go get the doctorate degree, right? But I just felt like this is what I wanted to do. And I spent four years as a volunteer slash administrative assistant slash graduate assistant coach. Four years at SC. And what my four years looked like was this. I'd get there really early. I'd read the Bible. I'd lift some weights, shower, get a head start before everyone started. It came to work. Whatever the coaches had, I did throughout the whole day. And then we had dinner, and then we kept working again. And then we stayed at night, and sometimes I slept over on the couch in, in Heritage Hall. And that's what life was like for four years. It's just constant. I was thinking to myself, this is my one shot. I got to make sure I do everything I can to make this go. Right? I mean, this, this is life. It was a football life. I was undistracted. I was completely consumed in this way of life. And I was on a mission. And then I got married. <laughs> and then I got married. Okay, and so this is what Paul is talking about in verse 32 through 34. Let me just take time to read it. And I mean that in a good way, but things change for me. I'm not hanging out and sleeping on the couch every night now. I got, I got someone I got to consider now. I'm not just hanging out on the couch and waking up like 5 o'clock in the morning, living like it's all good and working out and studying film now. I, I, oh, I guess I got to get home now, right? So verse 32 says this, but I, but I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But the one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. And his interests are divided. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord and that she may be holy both in body and spirit. But one who is married Right, sisters? If you get married, it's concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. To no longer am I there 18 hours a day hanging out and doing whatever I want in terms of growing in my coaching career. But now I had a good distraction, right? I mean, my wife, I want to be with her. I want to care for her. Things changed. My focus can't be all 100% in ball now. It's like... I had a new priority in life. I had a new calling now. That's what I signed up for. In some ways, coaching would be a great single man's job. You just do it all day. But, but I got married. Praise God. And married persons have double duty. This is what it is. You know what I'm talking about. Your schedule's not your own now. I know I got to make sure I check in and <laughs> let people know when I'm coming home. And sometimes I do that better than others, but I try. You know, we have more things to consider when we make life decisions, when we consider promotions and jobs that we may be offered. We have to consider, how does this affect my home life? How does this affect my, uh, my raising of my children? And then when children comes, it gets even that much more involved. You know what I'm talking about, for those of us who are parents. So this is, this is a critical thing for us to understand now. And I just want us to say this. Marriage is a phenomenal thing. Children are a blessing of the Lord. We know this. And if you're called to marriage and to be a parent, praise God. But the Lord has set your priorities, though. 
And we need to take care of our ministries at home, first to our wives and husbands and to our children next. And then after that, ministry in the church and other places. A single person could be fully devoted to serving the Lord. Let's read verse 35. This I say for your own benefit. Paul's not trying to trouble the Corinthians now. Paul is trying to bless them and say, I'm here to help you. Not to put a restraint upon you, not to put a noose on your neck, not to make life even harder, but to free you up, but to promote what is appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. Paul is trying to help give people a single-minded devotion to Christ. Let me go back to my graduate assistant days. I was available 24-7. I just got a cell phone. I mean, they had me now. I mean, this is when cell phones, we transferred from pagers to cell phones. I had a cell phone now. And my coach had my cell phone number. Coach Ogeron had me, all right? And meaning, if I had to pick him up at the airport, I'm coming. No matter what time, morning, if I had to drop him off at the airport, I'm coming. If he needed some help with a recruit on campus that had a surprise visit, I'm coming. If If he wanted to study a film or have me do some kind of project, I'm there. This is what I did. This is, it's like an apprenticeship. You're like, you're constantly there hoping to serve them, but hoping to learn how to be a coach. This is what it was. I was completely devoted to him. I was like his personal assistant. That's what it was. And so this is an interesting thing. As I studied and learned about what undistracted devotion to the Lord meant, undistracted devotion means this. That you're like the Lord's personal assistant. That's the picture. That you're constantly there attending to the Lord on whatever he needs. Yes, Lord, what do you want? Yes, you want me to go teach this class? I'm going to go teach. Yes, you want me on Saturday night, hang out with the young adults? I'll hang out with the young adults. Well, yes, Lord, you want me to start an early prayer meeting? Yes, I could do that. A single person is able to do that more freely. We understand this. So if you have the gift of singleness right now, maybe it's just a season. And perhaps you desire to be married someday. But take full advantage of this time. Let me read this from, um, Pastor Victor shared this book with me. And this may be a helpful book, Seven Myths About Singleness by Sam Albury. Sam Albury, right here. So I like to show these books to endorse good books, good authors. And so I'm grateful for Victor helping me out with this. And he, he writes this. And Sam is a pastor, I believe, and he's a single man at that. And so he's talking about it from a single's perspective, and he writes this in his book here. Let me take time to read this. Personally speaking, I can see some clear ways in which singleness has enabled me to serve Christ that would not be the case if I were married. I'm able to be away from home more easily. I don't have to think about the impact of my, of my absence on a wife or children. This has meant that I've been able to serve in a much wider range of contexts and for greater periods of time than someone who is married. When I am at home, I can, I can be more available to my church. It is either, easier to drop things at a moment's notice. If there is an urgent need or someone who needs visiting, I'm able to be freer with some of my weekends and evenings. From a logistical point of view, it is much easier to be flexible as a single person than as a married one. Trying to get young family out, out the doors virtually an all-day event. <laughs> so those of us who have young children. By the time things have been packed up for every conceivable eventuality and the last kid has fully got his sho- her shoes or coat on, someone decides he, he needs to use the restroom now. 
And by, by the time he's finished, someone else will too. I've seen parent, uh, parent friends of mine physically age in the time it takes to get, a, to get a clutch of infants from one side of the front door to the other. Trying to maneuver families like trying to turn a Mack truck around, right? We understand this, you know, we've had young children too and we get that. It's hard, it's hard, it's a, it's a, it's a consuming uh, devotion to our family. This is, and it's a worthy one, right? And, and we're talking about, we're not, we're not talking, we're not trying to minimize the role of being a husband or a wife or a parent, but it is consuming. It does, it does not free us up as much. And I just want to just finish up with a couple applica- applications here. Singleness is a gift. Singleness is a gift. And we believe this because the Bible says so, and Paul clearly details why it is a gift. To the singles, and I realize there's various types of singles here, right here in person, online. There are singles who are younger, who are older. Some, some singles delight in their singleness. I mean, this is agreeable with their soul. They, 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 they have the gift of singleness. Some singles desire to be married, to find a spouse. We understand this. So no matter where we're at, I would say this. Embrace the season. If you desire to be married, embrace the season. Take full advantage of your singleness now. Be as effective for the Lord now. Grow in your devotion to the Lord now. This is the time where you're going to undergird yourself to be a good husband or wife. But if you're called to singleness, and this, is, this sits well to your soul, I'm, on, I'm single and I'm fine with it, praise God. Be as effective as possible Do not minimize your relationships that you have with people in the church. This is what church is about, relationships, right? And so this is an important thing that we have a right mind about this church family. To those those of us at Evergreen SUV who aren't singles, I want to give a word here. Let's not look at our singles, particularly our older singles, with a suspicious eye. And what do I mean by that? Let's not think in our minds, when are they going to get married? Why? Are they, what's wrong? How come they don't get married? Let's not look at our brothers and sisters who are single as if something's missing, that they're incomplete. Evidently, Paul didn't believe this. Evidently, he didn't, as he, as he himself was a single man speaking on this. This is critical because how we affirm one another, what stirs in our hearts as we think about brothers and sisters in our minds is important. Marriage is a blessing. Children are a ridiculous blessing, but it's not the ultimate thing. Let's look at our Lord. Our Lord was single. Was Jesus perfectly uh, complete? Absolutely. Isn't he the one that we want to become like? That's the aim of discipleship, to become more Christ-like. We would never sit in judgment of Christ, would we? Never. And I want to leave us with this. Let's finish up with Isaiah 56. If you have your Bibles, let's turn there. This is the last verse I promised that we're going to cover here for today. Isaiah 56. This is a word from the Lord. And when I... Came across this verse this week. It just lifted my heart up. And I hope this lifts your heart up as well. Our Lord, 
who was single. Let's go verse 3. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. Nor let the eunuch who say, behold, I am a dry tree. A eunuch is a single person. A eunuch is someone who's not able to have children or who decides not to have children. Okay? Let's see what the Lord has to say. Verse 4. For thus says the Lord. You like that? For thus says Christ, Yahweh himself, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant, those who have come under my lordship. This is the, these are the singles that Paul is talking to. Those who do not have children, this is who Paul, uh, that, that God is talking to. Verse 5, to them I will give in my house and within my walls a memorial. You want a legacy? Yes, children are a wonderful legacy, right? Grandchildren are a wonderful legacy. But there's a better legacy than that. This is a, a legacy within God's house. And a name better than that of sons and daughters. This is what our Lord says. There's a name that singles have that are better than sons and daughters. I'll give them an everlasting name which will not be cut off. Meaning there's nothing that could ever cut your name off, your legacy off. And that's being in Christ. And I find it so encouraging how our Lord would have this and have Isaiah the prophet write this. Singleness is a gift, brothers and sisters. Singleness is a gift. Brothers and sisters, embrace that calling or embrace this season of life that you're in. Perhaps if you desire to have a spouse, the Lord is preparing you and you're preparing your spouse right now. And for those of us who have spouses, let's embrace our brothers and sisters who are in Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time to preach your word. Thank you, Jesus, that you are so good. Thank you, Lord, that you have made us in your image. And because of your son, Jesus Christ, we have eternal hope. Thank you, Lord, that you declare that singleness is a gift. And that, Lord, that you have called some to have the unique calling to be singles. And I thank you, Lord. I pray, Lord, that, uh, that those who you call to have the gift of singleness would embrace this calling. Be content in this calling. And those singles here, part of our church family who desire to be married, to have, a, to have a spouse, I pray, Lord, that they will embrace this season of singleness. And, Lord, that they will not waste this time that you've given them to grow in their love for you and to be prepared for their spouse someday. So, Father God, I pray, Lord, that you will continue to deepen our relationships here. That as Isaiah talked about, that the spirit of heritage that singles can have is in through discipleship, being in intentional relationships, helping others become more like you. I pray, Lord, that the spirit of discipleship, the culture of discipleship will take over here at Evergreen SGV and that we will learn to embrace one another, learn to love one another, how you have called us, to be content with how you've called us so that we could help one another grow in the image of your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.